Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. I'm no expert on human nature, but I think that somewhere deep down inside all of us, beneath all the layers of comfort-seeking, weekend-loving, Netflix-binging slothfulness that kind of like lingers on the surface of most of our lives, like somewhere beneath all of that, I think that most of us still love a challenge, don't we? We love to be challenged and to rise to the challenge and see if we can meet the occasion. Uh, There's an organization called Teach America that takes the brightest young teachers in the country and they place them in the nation's worst public schools. And a few years ago, somebody from Teach America showed up at Duke University, one of our country's premier educational institutions, you know, and this presenter from Teach America stood in front of this crowd full of trust fund college kids, and she said this. She said, you know, I can tell just by looking at you that I've come to the wrong place. She said, you know, somebody told me that this was the BMW school, and I believe it. Just looking at you, I know that you have achieved success and that you're all on track for even more success, and still, I'm here today to convince you to throw your life away at the toughest job you'll ever have. I want people to go to the hollers of West Virginia and the ghettos of South Los Angeles to teach in the worst schools in America. Last year, two of our teachers were killed on the job. But just by looking at you, I can tell that you're not interested. So go to grad school, make your millions, live for success and for comfort. But if by chance you happen to be interested in the toughest job in America, I've got a few brochures over here so you can come and see me. Meeting's over. And you can imagine what happened, can't you? The aisles flocked. I mean, they were mobbed with students saying, sign me up. There's something in us that loves a good challenge. In the year 1914, Ernest Shackleton embarked on his expedition to Antarctica. If you don't know the Ernest Shackleton story, man, go look it up, watch the movie, read the book. It would go on to become one of the greatest survival stories in history. But Ernest Shackleton over 100 years ago knew that if he's going to make it to the South Pole, he can't just have any old average Joe applying for this tough expedition with him. So what Ernest Shackleton did was he ran an ad in the newspaper that said this, men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. (laughs) Honor and recognition and event of success. And 5,000 people responded to the advertisement. He chose 27. There's something in us that loves a good challenge, isn't there? And if that's you this morning, the good news is that following Jesus is a challenge Man, if you've been following Jesus more than like two hours, you know that to be true, right? It's just tough sometimes, isn't it? G.K. Chesterton, the Christian writer, he said this. He said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. That a lot of people, when they really come face to face with the real life that Jesus is asking of them, they say, man, that's just too tough. I'm out. And so today, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is just going to throw down the gauntlet for us, and he's going to give us three challenges this morning, okay? Don't shoot the messenger. I don't write the mail. I just deliver it, okay? Ready? Mark chapter 10, three challenges from Jesus. Here's challenge number one, starting in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's pause right there. That's kind of the age-old question, isn't it? How do I know that I'm in? 
And some people will swing the pendulum all the way over here and they say, all you have to do is believe. If you just say, yep, you think these, this list of statements is true, then you could just go on your merry way confident that you're in. Other people will swing the pendulum all the way over here and they'll say, well, actually, you know, when you get to the end of your life, God's going to kind of measure up all the good things you did and measure up all the bad things you did. And as long as the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff, then you're in. And yet Jesus says, no, no, no. It's actually, he splits those goalposts right down the middle. Look what Jesus says. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus is not saying here that he's not good. He's saying that he is God, which means that he's qualified to answer the question. So Jesus says to the guy, he says, okay, you want to know if you're in? Well, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, is that all of the Ten Commandments? No. Did you notice which ones Jesus left out? He left out all of the first four Ten Commandments, the one about loving God and honoring God more than anything else, not worshiping idols. Jesus also left out, do not covet. He might be saying, hint, hint, I think I know what this guy's problem is here. And so the guy responds. He says, well, teacher, I mean, all, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that. This is actually the only time in the whole gospel of Mark that it explicitly tells us that Jesus loves someone. And Jesus loves this guy enough that he can't let that heart problem go unaddressed. In fact, Jesus loves this guy enough to let him walk away. Jesus says something really hard. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad. Why? Because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. The reason they're amazed is that in the Jewish mindset, like surely the rich people are the ones who are most blessed by God, right? So if you're rich, that means like you're good with God. And yet Jesus doesn't back off this statement. He actually doubles down on it. He says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you've been around church for a long time, you've probably read some stuff and hearing this text explained, and like the vast majority of interpretations of this passage are basically trying to soften what Jesus said. Like, no, like Jesus, he doesn't actually mean you should go like sell all your stuff and give it away to the poor this afternoon. He's just saying that he, he wants your heart. That's the point. But what if Jesus actually meant what he said? What if Jesus is saying to us today that maybe our money is standing in the way of us fully following him? What if camels can't actually go through the eye of a needle? And that's why the disciples were even more amazed, Mark says, and they said to each other, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. Because, of course, Peter spoke up, right? <laughs> he said, we've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last. 
and the last first. So Jesus is issuing a challenge here. Challenge number one, just plain and simple, is give up your money. We're not going to get much more complicated than that today, okay? Jesus says, give up your money. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but when I come to this text, like, kind of grates me a little bit, right? Like, this is not a sermon I woke up particularly pumped to preach this morning. (gasps) Because the text like this is one that we kind of like to come to with a highlighter in one hand and scissors in the other, if you know what I mean. Like, we'll read this text and highlight that part about like, yeah, nothing is impossible with God. Put that on a coffee mug. (laughs) But I'll take scissors to that stuff about sell everything you have, give to the poor. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That doesn't look so good on a bumper sticker, you know? This is a hard challenge. But what if Jesus loves you and me like he loves the rich man? What if Jesus loves you and me enough to give us a challenge that'll make us squirm? Um, I read this challenge from a Scottish pastor named Robert Murray Machane from 200 years ago. He wrote this to his congregation. It knocked me upside the head like a two-by-four. I hope it does for you too. He said, I'm concerned for the poor, but more for you. I know not what Christ will say to you in the great day. I fear there are many hearing me who know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. Because to love to give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. This is a hard challenge. And yet, I, I know this might rub some of you the wrong way. I know you're not probably super pumped to come into church and hear the money sermon, right? But I'm thankful today that we have a Jesus who sometimes asks us to put on our steel-toed boots because he's going to step on our toes. Because the opposite of that is a particular brand of Christianity that is infecting the American church right now, and it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Some of you just looked at those big words and thought, come on, it's the weekend, I'm not in school, and you just checked out. But here's my challenge for you. If you can learn to order a drink at Starbucks, then you can learn some big words in church, right? (laughs) Like, if you put in the work to learn coffee language that I feel like a foreigner, then we can learn Bible language, okay? Bear with me for three words. Moralistic therapeutic deism. What in the world does that mean? This is a kind of counterfeit Christianity that is pervasive throughout the American church. And once you hear it, I think you'll start to see it. Let's break it apart word by word. Moralistic. You can tell what that means. This means that faith just becomes something that's about helping you have good morals, That the point of your faith is to help you just kind of be a golden rule person, like do unto others as you would have them to you. Just be nice, just be kind. Be a good person. Therapeutic. Therapeutic means that the point of your relationship with God is to help you be happy and feel better about yourself and have good self-esteem. That's why God exists. Deism is the belief that, yes, God exists, he is real, but he's not actively involved in your everyday life. He's not really the king of all things. He's more of just kind of the creator who set everything up, and then he just kind of sent the universe spinning off on its own and said, bye, have a nice life, I'll see you in heaven. And so moralistic therapeutic deism put together just turns God into your heavenly butler. He's just kind of there to do what you want when you want him to do it. He's Tinkerbell, 
He's there to sprinkle a little bit of magic fairy dust on your life and, and help you feel better. And so then if God is Tinkerbell, then church becomes this place where we just get out our pom-poms and we cheer each other on and we just tell each other how awesome we are. And yet I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you more than that. Jesus loves you more than just turning you into a nice person. And he loves you so much, in fact, that sometimes he's going to make you feel not very good about yourself because he wants to be really involved in your everyday life because he's the real king. And Jesus himself knows that moralistic therapeutic deism leads to a shallow faith that cannot withstand the pain of life in this world because this stuff shatters when life gets hard. And you felt life get hard, haven't you? I mean, this is why Ernest Shackleton didn't run an ad saying, hey, anybody want to go on a boat ride? <laughs> he gave a challenge because he knew the journey would be tough. And that's why Jesus gives us a challenge here too. And so, out of love, Jesus is going to give us this challenge today. We asked a few weeks ago, we said, you know, maybe the, the best question that you can ask when you're reading the Bible is, if I took this text seriously, what would have to change? So what about this encounter with the rich man? If we took this seriously, what would have to change? I don't know, maybe Jesus is telling you this morning that there's something standing in the way of you really fully following him. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a dream, maybe it's a career, maybe it's a plan, maybe, maybe it's a, a sinful habit of some kind, but maybe we shouldn't look too far. Maybe Jesus is just saying your money's actually standing in the way. I don't know, I heard, the, heard one about a little girl whose dad gave her two dollars and said, one, one's for you and one's for God. And so the dad and his daughter were walking along the sidewalk. They're going to go to the candy store where she can spend her dollar. Then they're going to go to church where she can put God's dollar in the offering plate. But a big old gust of wind comes up and it blows one of the dollars away. And the little girl looks at the sky. She says, sorry, God, there goes your dollar. <laughs> and man, I don't know about you, but I can sure live like that sometimes. Like, like, like it, it, it's, it's mine. Man, isn't it crazy how money can find its way into your heart so easily? Because money's not evil, it's, it's just a tool like anything. And yet the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 that it's the love of money that's a root of all kinds of evil. That's what Jesus saw in this rich young man, that it's really hard to have money without money having you. And money makes a great servant but a terrible master. And so that's why Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. We don't really need to explain that. It's pretty straightforward, right? And so this is hard stuff. In fact, if you read through the teachings of Jesus, if you actually read through the red letters in your Bible, Jesus talks a ton about money, and he gives a ton of really hard challenges. And I'm actually really, really haunted by that, that if you go read all the sermons Jesus preached, and then you go back and read a bunch of the sermons that Luke preached, man, like I just wonder if Jesus had a church in Plainfield, would our church be bigger than his because that's a scary thought to me. And so that's why we have a commitment as a church to challenge you and to challenge each other in the things that Jesus challenges us on. That's why last week we talked about divorce, and this week I'm standing up here saying, give up your money. <laughs> I've read a whole lot of church growth books. That ain't how to do it. None of them, that, that's not in there. <laughs> and yet we believe that Jesus really did die for us, and he really did rise from the dead, and he really is seated on high, reigning over all things as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he really is worthy of everything we have to give. And if that's true, then when he gives a challenge, we step up and we accept. 
And that's why one of the cool things here is that we get to see, I get to see firsthand every week the amazing things that we get to do for the kingdom of God through the generosity of this church family. It's one of the reasons I love this church family. And I could stand up here and I could tell dozens of stories about the cool things we get to do together with the money that you give, but I'm not gonna do that today. In fact, today, I wanna just unashamedly challenge you to give your money to God's church whether or not you ever know what happens with it simply because Jesus deserves it. And that's a tough challenge. But Jesus, Jesus lays out this tough challenge, but then he speaks equally boldly about the rewards that come. Jesus actually says that for everything you give, for everything that you entrust to him, the earthly and eternal rewards are 10,000%. If I offered you 10,000% return on investment for anything today, you'd jump on that, wouldn't you? That's what Jesus offers for challenge number one, give up your money. Here's challenge number two that Jesus offers. Let's see if it's any easier. Nope, all right. Uh, Give up your safety, Jesus says, starting in verse 32. It says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside, and he told them what was going to happen to him. Here's what he said. He said, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. I mean, it doesn't get much clearer than that. Jesus knew exactly what was gonna happen to him. And he says, if you're gonna follow me, the path leads to death. If you're gonna be my disciple, safety first is not the way. So challenge number two is to give up your safety. You might remember back in Mark chapter eight, two chapters ago, Jesus said, hey, if you wanna be my follower, deny yourself Take up your cross and follow me. Now, we can kind of spiritualize that, but you might remember, who is Mark writing to here? He's writing in the mid-60s, maybe, A.D., to these people in Rome. Mark is in Rome as he's recording these stories from the life of Jesus for us. In other words, like, this is not a spiritual, metaphorical cross. Mark is reminding the early Christians, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to be prepared to die for him rather than to deny him. And that's a hard challenge for us to remember as we get to gather here in freedom and safety, sipping our coffee, going to lunch after this, right? But this is a real challenge that we hear a lot of well-intentioned people who will say, you know, I just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But remember what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus. They got nailed to a cross. And if you're going to follow him, you need to be ready for that. And so I'm... I'm not going to get real specific with this today, with this whole give up your safety kind of thing. I'm just trusting that my guess is God is nudging some of you in the room, that the Holy Spirit has been prompting some of you, that you've maybe felt a tug in your gut to follow Jesus into something, something he wants you to do. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's a conversation he wants you to have. Maybe there's a career change or a relationship change. Maybe there's something that you know he wants you to give away. I mean, maybe he wants you to Commit your life to the mission field. <laughs> maybe he wants you to go into full-time ministry, and maybe you've been feeling that tug in your gut from the Holy Spirit, and you haven't responded yet because you're afraid, and it would stretch you, and it's not safe. But if God's the one who's calling you to follow him, even if it's not safe, it is good. We've talked before about John Patton. He's one of my 
um, heroes of the faith. Uh, he was a successful minister in Scotland a long time ago. Things were going pretty well in the ministry when all of a sudden John Patton felt that nudge from God in his gut, and he felt specifically called to go to the New Hebrides Islands, this small chain of islands in the Pacific where there were all these people who had never heard the gospel. They'd never heard the good news of Jesus, and John Patton felt called to go and to tell these people about Jesus. The catch was that all these people were cannibals. And so as he's sharing this with his wife and he's like sharing this with his church, you can imagine how this is going, right? Like, John, that's not a good idea. In fact, there had been two previous missionaries who tried to go to the New Hebrides Islands to tell them about Jesus, and each time they'd been eaten, which reminds me, what does a cannibal call a phone book? A menu, right? Cue the groans. Good job. What does the cannibal wife give the cannibal husband when she's mad at him? For dinner, she gives him the cold shoulder, right? Okay, groan. You don't have to laugh. I'm just making sure you're still with me. Just checking if you're there, okay? And so John Patton, like, he feels called to go to these cannibals. And it's like, if I go, am I going to be the one on the menu? And I'm sure he's wrestling with all these things, but he says, no, God's telling me to go. And people are trying to talk him out of it. And the church in Scotland, they offer him more money to stay. And they're saying, John, it's not safe. And finally, one time, this elderly gentleman tries to talk him out of it, and here was John Patton's response to him. Patton said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. It's a real pastoral guy. You know, he's got the gift of compassion. <laughs> I confess to you that if I can live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Drop the mic, man. And so he went. And when John Patton got there, he didn't know what to do. Like, there's no book on how to reach cannibals for Jesus for dummies, right? He, how do you do this? But he, he remembered that his dad had taught him to pray. That when John Patton was a kid, every day his father, twice a day, would gather all the kids together and they'd just pray together about whatever was going on that day. And Patton didn't know what to do, but he knew his dad taught him to pray. And so he started to pray. And as he prayed, God gave him opportunities and he learned the local language and he started building orphanages. And when opportunities came, he started sharing about Jesus. And he and his wife had a baby. And then when both of his wife and his baby died... He still didn't give up, and he, and he still didn't leave, and he kept praying, and he kept working, and he kept preaching, and, and time and time again when tribesmen came to attack him, John Patton, he just, he just prayed, and you can go read the story. In one encounter after another, he never defended himself. He just prayed, and God spared his life time and time again, even when he had to spend nights sleeping on the tomb of his wife and child to keep the cannibals away from his corpses. He didn't give up. When John Patton went to the New Hebrides, not a single person had heard the good news of Jesus. And by the time he died, every person in the New Hebrides Islands had heard the good news of Jesus. And to this day, in that string of islands, 85% of the people there self-identify as followers of Christ. It's the testament to a praying life. A life that says, Jesus, wherever you tell me to go, I'll go, even if it ain't safe. Um, later on in life, one of the local chieftains came up to John Patton and they asked him, hey, who was that army that we saw? Like, who were those soldiers that were gathered around your hut at night when we tried to come attack you? And John Patton said, that was my time in prayer. Man, if God calls you to it, he'll see you through it. Challenge number one is give up your money. Challenge number two is give up your safety. Here's challenge number three, Jesus says, give up your glory. 
Take a look at this next interaction. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's kind of a bold thing to say to the Son of God, don't you think? <laughs> but Jesus, he's so gentle, he said, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Now, you could tell what James and John are thinking, right? They're remembering back to the transfiguration they just saw. Like, hey, we just saw Jesus shining on the mountain like the sun and with Moses and Elijah. And now we come down and he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem where we're pretty sure he's going to become king. We better get in on this while we can. But Jesus says, oh, you, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Do you really think you can go through what I'm about to go through? And naively, they just said, yeah, we can. Jesus said to them, well, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. And what he means by that is, hey, you're, you're going to die for me too. That's where this road leads if you give up your safety for me. And, and he was right. James would go on to become the first of the 12 disciples to be killed, martyred for the faith. John would go on to be the last one to die in exile as an old man for preaching about Jesus. And yet Jesus says, nah, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. A lot of people think Jesus is talking there about the thieves who would be crucified on either side of him. Jesus says, these places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. And when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, do you think that the other 10 disciples are really like, James, John, that's so selfish and arrogant. How dare you steal God's glory like that? No, they're just mad that James and John thought of it first, right? <laughs> Text goes on. It says, Jesus called them all together. He said, hey, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? If you want to follow Jesus, challenge number three is give up your glory. If you go surf Amazon this afternoon, or if you go to Barnes & Noble over there in Perry Crossing, you'll find a lot of books about leadership. You'll find some stuff about how to win friends and influence people. You'll find some good podcasts probably about, you know, how to, how to cultivate your social media following and become an influencer. You're not going to find very much content, though, about how to be a servant. You won't find very many books about how to be a follower. Not too many podcasts about how to live a life that is unseen and unnoticed for the glory of God. And yet Jesus says, hey, the leaders out there in the world, they like to throw their weight around, but not so with you. Because the disciples expected, hey, when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, everybody's going to know he's the king. He's going to pick up a sword. He's going to ask us to pick up swords with him. And yet when Jesus gets to Jerusalem and the people hail him as king, Jesus, he picks up a basin and a towel. And he asks all of us who follow him to do the same because we serve a king who washes feet, a humble king. And I want you to know that when anybody joins our staff or our eldership here at the church, the first thing we do is we give them a basin and a towel to remind them that this is how we lead. This is what we do. We serve a king who washes feet. We aren't fame chasers or glory hogs around here. All the glory belongs to Jesus. And as he served us, so we serve others. This is our call. And when I think of giving up the glory, of using authority to serve. Uh, the person who first comes to my mind is actually Jimmy Carter. 
Now, regardless of your particular political persuasion today, uh, most people agree that Jimmy Carter was not the world's greatest president. And yet he was an undeniably good man, and he's a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And I don't know that I can think of anybody who models how to use authority and how to deflect glory better than Jimmy Carter. Most presidents, when they come out of office, they spend that next chapter of their lives kind of traveling around stumping for their favorite causes and making millions and millions of dollars on the speaking circuit and writing books. But Jimmy Carter was different. Jimmy Carter, after he got out of office, spent the next 35 years volunteering for Habitat for Humanity with his own two hands, helping build thousands of homes for needy people. And he didn't move to some wealthy neighborhood with all of his rich political friends. Jimmy Carter moved back to his little tiny hometown of Plains, Georgia. He went from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, living in the White House, back to living in a little two-bedroom ranch home that he built himself in 1961. Zillow values Jimmy Carter's home at $167,000. Humble man. And Jimmy Carter, he shops at the Dollar General, and he flies commercial airlines when he has to go somewhere, and he attends his hometown Baptist church that he grew up in. Bob Boswell is uh, on our staff here at the church. He's actually gotten to go down to Plains, Georgia, and he attended church there at that little Baptist church. He went to the Sunday school class that Jimmy Carter taught for decades and decades up until just a couple years ago. And at that church, when offering time comes, they pass the wooden offering plates, and those offering plates Jimmy Carter turned at home on his own wood lathe. And he takes his turn mowing the church lawn on the rotation just like everybody else. Um, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter just celebrated their 77th wedding anniversary. I've been deeply moved by this story about how Jimmy Carter, who's now on hospice waiting to go see the Lord, said, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus, and it's okay to do it differently than everybody else because I follow a king who came not to be served but to serve. That's how Jesus came, and that's how Jesus now sends us. So as we kind of land the plane here together this morning, what I want to do with you is, would you just join me in reading out loud Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11? This is one of the key texts in the New Testament that describes how Jesus came to serve and how Jesus now sends us to serve, to give up the glory for him. Would you join me in reading this out loud? Paul writes this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, Can you imagine if we did this? Like if you were a person that said, yeah, I'll step up to the plate. If we were a church that said, yeah, I'll I'll meet that challenge. We'll give up our money. We'll give up our safety. We'll give up the glory because we think King Jesus is worth it. I mean, if we we were people who said, yeah, we'll we'll give up our money. And, And I think you are those people. I love that about this church. This is such a generous community, and I love getting to be a part of it. But if we took it up and notch, can you imagine the ministries that we could support, what we could do for God's glory in Hendricks County and around the world? Imagine someday that you get to heaven and a lady comes walking up to you and you've never met her before, but she says, hey, you don't know me, but you gave some money and your church planted a church in the Dominican Republic and that's where I met Jesus and that's why I'm here. I don't know about you, I wanna have that conversation someday. Can you imagine if we were a church that said, yeah, we'll, we'll give up our safety? And that might mean big things like God telling you to, to take a step and go somewhere. But it could also just be taking a small risk for him, like having that conversation that you've been a little nervous to have. Can you imagine the marriages that would get called back from the brink of divorce, the sins that could be confronted? Can you imagine the addictions that would be broken, the children that would be raised up and the grandchildren that would be raised up and the knowledge of the Lord if we became a place that said, yeah, we'll risk it because we think King Jesus is gonna take care of us. Safety ain't first. (laughs) Can you imagine if we were a community that said, yeah, no, 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 we... We don't need the glory. We don't really care what other people think. We just care what Jesus thinks because we know that all the glory belongs to him. And so, yeah, wherever Jesus tells us to go, we'll go. And whatever Jesus tells us to do, we'll do. Whatever Jesus tells us to say, we'll say for our joy, for the world's good, and for God's glory. And all God's people said. Because that's what Jesus did for us, right? You know, Jesus, he didn't love us halfway. He didn't just holler down from heaven and say, hey, you guys really messed that up. Good luck. (laughs) He didn't come down and just give us a good example saying, guys, don't do it like that. Do it like this. (laughs) No, 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 no. Our intent today is not just to beat you over the head with the Bible and tell you to do better. Our intent today is to remind you of how Jesus loved you with everything that he had. He gave it all. He gave his very life so that you could know him, so that he could live in you. He went all the way to the cross. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. He said, no, I'm a different kind of king. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for you. So I don't know what your story is. I don't know where you are today, but Jesus does. And he died for everybody, yeah? But it's not just for everybody else, it's for you. And so I'm gonna give you a moment just to be with you and your king, just to tell him thank you. And man, if you felt this pull, if you felt the nudge, in a moment of insane courage, would you push away the excuses and the fear and would you follow him? Because he gave it all for you. 
So I'm going to give you a moment to receive this bread on your own that reminds you of the body of Christ that was nailed to the cross so that you could know him and be a part of his family. And then we'll pray and we'll receive this cup together. Jesus, you are a mighty, powerful, awesome, holy king. And you're a humble king. Thank you for serving us. And my prayer is that even as we have been here being filled again with your love, that you would send us out to serve and to love as we have been loved. You know what's going on in every heart right now here, Lord. You know the excuses we have. You know the weakness of our faith. You know our fears. You know our regrets from long ago. And you know the dumb stuff we did yesterday. The dumb stuff we probably did this morning. (laughs) And so we're going to receive again this gift of grace because we need it. And we praise you that we now get to be your children, Father. That we get to be a part of your family. That we get your Holy Spirit living within us. That we get the hope of heaven even as we witness this new life together today. Not because we are good, but because you are good. And because the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, has washed us clean. All the glory belongs to you. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. This is the blood of Christ. Hey, if you're ready to respond to the challenge and the invitation from King Jesus, or man, if there's just something in your life that you want to talk about and that you want to pray about, we're here for you. Our uh, prayer team is going to be gathered around the edges of the room with their green lanyards on throughout the remainder of the service, and I'd encourage you to take that step. Let's stand to worship our King together, church. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.